Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. All right, so we are today in week 11 of our series on Romans. Uh, And just a reminder, as we do each week, uh, focused on what we are approaching and how we are doing things. So we typically, my experience has been, spend a little bit of time asking the Holy Spirit for help, spend a little bit of time reading the Bible, may talk to somebody, and then spend a whole lot of time asking commentaries what this really means. And we're trying to transition out of that into a lot more time asking the Holy Spirit, a lot more time staring at the words, a lot more time talking to each other, and then a little bit of time getting some confirmation. So um, a different approach that I hope uh, you have found helpful so far. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 1, we're going to read Romans 1, 2, and 3. Yes, all of chapters 1, 2, and 3. I found a book last week uh, about... The Public Reading of Scripture. Somebody has written an entire book on how to do this well. So I am excited to read that and to get better in this space uh, myself. Uh, As well as the fact that this is literally uh, applying Scripture. We are are told in Scripture to apply ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So this is a good thing. So let's start with Romans 1. We'll go through uh, today's text is Romans 3, 21 through 31. So Romans 1, 1 through 3, 20 is getting the context, setting ourselves up for the text for week 11. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things." Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law... And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. Then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, for no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But... Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I love the first three chapters of Romans. Uh, of course, I always love whatever I'm teaching at that time, but I really love, and I love today's reading because we finally turned the corner in verse 21, and hopefully you could hear it when I was reading it. But 
now. So I wore my Oh Happy Day shirt because, yes, we are turning the corner out of the condemnation to something that is the reason for the hope that we have even in the midst of the condemnation. So if you have your handout, grab your handout. Uh, it's a two-pager today, so make sure you've got that. And we're going to go through and walk through the, the righteousness of God through faith, Romans three twenty-one through 31. So as I've said each week, Bible study is about asking and answering questions about the text. So let's ask some questions. <clears throat> so are there any literary and structural observations? What jumps out to you that I've already talked about? Yeah, we're turning the corner. But now we are, we are shifting gears. Paul's logic is coming into play. We're starting to see how he's setting things up. Um, and there's a second more, significantly more minor point. L- look at verse uh, 21 just for a second. Um, and look at the words law in verse 21 in your, in your text. What do you see about the words law in verse 21? One's a big L and one's a little L. Yeah. And you're like, well, well, that's just a typo. Mm, No, (laughs) not the way that works. Not with Schreiner as the editor of Romans and the editor of the New Testament and Grudem, the editor of the entire thing. They're not letting typos of capitalization slip through, right? We, we dealt with those things already. Um, I asked uh, somebody who is very good with grammar about this, and uh, she sent me some notes on it and said, the Jews refer to the Old Testament as, quote, the law and the prophets, which is a title. And titles are capitalized, and this rule is carried out here, which is why the word law in the clause before is lowercase. So in general, when we're referring to the law, it's going to be lowercase all throughout Romans. Otherwise, when it's referring to the Bible as they had it then, the Old Testament, it's the law and the prophets, so you would capitalize it there. So just a couple uh, comments around the structure and the details of the text itself. So now we get to the words. All right, Olivia, you ready? I waited till you had finished swallowing there to ask you this question, so I had a side eye on you there. So what are the Greek words for but now? Nuni day, yes. And how do you know that? Because you read the Greek interlinear, yes. So Olivia's our uh, in-house Greek expert. So she uh, has taken how many semesters of Greek in college? Three. Three semesters of Greek. But it wasn't Koine Greek, right? It wasn't the Greek of the Bible. It was like, like if you wanted to travel to Greece and talk to somebody right now. No, it was ancient Greek. It was ancient Greek. It wasn't, it wasn't ancient biblical Greek. So there's a lot of kinds of Greek. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> So it's not enough just to be able to speak Greek. You've got to know the right kind of Greek to speak, which, yes, so, exactly, exactly. About a half a dozen of you are just looking at me like you're just shaking your heads. Yes, every week this is what we get to do. <laughs> we get to study a language that nobody speaks anymore, which is incredible. Um, Except the Holy Spirit, he is still speaking through it. So it is beautiful. So this phrase, but now, is a transition phrase. And Paul's going to use this at least a half a dozen more times in Romans. So when you see this phrase, he's turning a, a argumentative corner. Remember, he's a lawyer, so he's going to have a lot of this. So, but now the righteousness, this is the same word we saw in Romans 1.17 and 3.5, the equity or justification, the, the justification of God has been manifested. It's been shown. It's been declared apart from, separate from the law, the nomos, although the law, the nomos and the prophets, the Old Testament, bear witness. So I want to talk about, I already missed a blank. Here we go. Uh, So, but now, this is, I'm really excited, so I put it in really big font, so turning a corner. Uh, Law and law, and then this is the word for um, bear witness. Now, 
What does this look like? Martyr. Martyr, yes. So when Jesus and Paul were walking around on the earth, this word meant to testify in court, to say that something was true. So many Christians testified to something that was true, that was against the law, that they were persecuted for, that they died for, that the meaning of this word no longer means today what it meant then. What does it mean now? It's like you're like to martyr. Yeah, to die. Yeah, this means to die because of something that you are saying or something that you are doing, some testimony you are giving with your life. So, The Old Testament, the law and the prophets testify to what? The righteousness of God. The the righteousness, again, the same word used in verse 21, of God through. Now, the the little Greek word here is dia, uh, D-I-A. Now, we use this word uh, for something very special in geometry. I'm a math major. It's going to come up periodically. You just got to deal with it, right? Um, what, what is the red line? The red line is the what? The diameter. It's not the radius. No, <laughs> there's two radii there. Um, it's the diameter, right? And what does the diameter have to go through? Is it the diameter if it doesn't go through the center? No, that's why I put a big X over the top of it, right? It is, this is not that this is just a chord, right? Not the kind you can play. This is just it's a different kind of chord, right? This is the diameter, if I can get my, there we go. It's got to go through the center. So what does this go through? It goes through the middle. There's your blank. Through the middle. <clears throat> the righteousness of God goes through what? What's the next word? Faith. faith. Yes. It goes through faith. If we want this, this is what we, it has to go through. The righteousness of God goes through faith. In what? Just faith and faith, Right. Yeah, it better be Jesus. If it's anything else, it's not the middle. It's something else. It's extraordinarily exclusive. You say, well, Christianity is is narrow. Yes, it's the narrowest thing imaginable. It's either Jesus or nothing. Very simply, it's either Jesus or nothing. You either go through the middle of all things. We'll talk about how even more significant this is in a minute. For there, present middle indicative right now, there is no distinction this word is used in 1 Corinthians 14, 7 of the, the sound that different musical instruments make. Um, both my kids play instruments, and uh, we listen to music sometimes, and, and I will say, oh, that's a, really, that's a really neat instrument. What is that? And they can, like, we're, we're not watching somebody play. They're listening to something being played, and a group of instruments being played, and I can say, what is that? And they'll instantly tell me what instrument it is. And I go, how do you do that? You know, that's just shocking to me that you, you can hear the distinction between... Inst- can, who can do this in this room? I know there's some of you that can do this, yes. That's amazing to me. I, but y'all didn't know this was the diameter, though, did you? <clears throat> that's right. Come on. Hashtag geometry. There we go. All right. Come on. Um, <laughs> everybody has their skills, okay? Everybody has their skills. Sorry. It's just, I get excited when I do talk about math, too. Uh, but this distinction, there, there is no distinction, there is no sound that is different between what? Sinners. For the Jew sins or Gentile sins, there's no distinction in sound. For what? For all have... Well, I've done pretty good, though. Like, I teach Sunday school. That's pretty good. 
I was at church last week. Boom. Two points. And the week before, two more. In, two in a row, even. That's like extra points. The only problem with that is all have sinned. Remember we talked last week about this is missing the mark and not sharing in the prize. So not only did you, did you miss the target, you didn't get a present. And then, just to make sure that you really understood the significance here, and you fall short. It, it literally means uh, to, to be later. So if you're in a race and you fall short, you're, you're, you weren't first. You, you came across the line later. Right, so let's read again. So you sinned. All have sinned. You missed the mark. You didn't get the prize. And you came in late. <laughs> There's a reason we teach this verse to our kids. <laughs> right? We need to know our position in the universe. This is important. For all have sinned and fall short. It's present tense too. So it's cranking right along. We fall short of the glory of God. Of the glory or the dignity or the honor. The praise of the worship. And then verse 24. And are justified by his grace. If you want to get all of the major words in Romans in one text of scripture, Romans 3, 21 through 31 pretty much does it. You've got faith. You've got grace. You've got justification. You've got righteousness. You've got redemption. You've got propitiation. They're pretty much all there. If you want a primer in the Greek language for words, this is the text for you. And they are justified. This is the, the gavel has fallen from the judge, and the judge declares what? That's right. They are justified by his grace. <clears throat> this is the benefit. This is the favor. As a gift. So what do gifts cost? Gift costs a lot, right? Who's had a birthday recently? Somebody's had a birthday recently. Matt Ayers had a birthday. Matt, did you get any gifts on your birthday? Did you have to pay for any of them? Has anybody ever had to pay for a gift on their birthday? Jay, I'm, I'm glad I have a friend in the room today. Um, you get what you want. <laughs> I, uh, I had a birthday, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago? I don't know. And, and my dad knew... My dad knew that I wanted a riding lawnmower because I had one when I was in high school because I had a lawn care business, um, which is shocking to some of you that I was outside all the time. But I, it's extraordinarily uh, lucrative, but it's, it's a great way to make money. Uh, and somehow God had mercy and didn't let me die during that process. That so was good. Um, so uh, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember that I had to give him money for it on my birthday <clears throat> because the birthday present was him giving me a discount on it. We both paid for it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. It was not a free gift. <laughs> this is what I distinctly re I remember thinking, I need somebody who's good at accounting because I think I got lost in what the transaction happened here because I don't think we came out on the, on the plus end of this thing. But it was not a free gift, which is shocking because it was a good lawnmower like it was it lasted for quite a while but I don't have it anymore because it eventually like wore out because that's what lawnmowers do things that we pay for eventually wear out but this gift when does this gift wear out when does the justification of his grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ when does that wear out it doesn't and this is wonderful this is amazing 
through the redemption. Again, you have to go through the center of redemption. The uh, a phrase for this redemption is ransom in full. So this is somebody who has kidnapped somebody and the ransom is paid in full. This is not negotiation. This is not bargaining. This is not, well, let's see if we can whittle them down a little bit. No, this is open up your checkbook, pay the whole amount. Ransom in full. That is in who? It's in Christ Jesus. This ransom doesn't get paid in full by anybody else. The whole Old Testament is, is testament to that, right? The, the attempts at paying this ransom over and over and order, the, the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of animals to try to pay the price that were not sufficient. And Jesus pays the price. Verse 25, whom God put forward, whom God uh, placed before or exhibited or set forth as a propitiation. All right, so this is a good word. You've got to know what propitiation means. Propitiation means expiatory. That helped, right? <laughs> I'll give you another one. Assuagement. Dang it. That didn't help either, did it? Uh, let's try atonement. And you know what atonement means, right? Atonement is the at one mint. The at one mint. Those are your blanks. The, we are bringing God and man together. How, how does this occur? Well, you have to have a sacrifice. You have to have an atoning victim. This word is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Some of you who... Uh, studied this uh, text a little bit. You saw that it was used where else in the New Testament? Anybody remember? I saw the words. I saw the words being mouthed. The mercy seat. seat, Yes. This is the mercy seat. And you're going like, what's the mercy seat? Well, the mercy seat's really important. The mercy seat is uh, part of the what? Anybody know what this object is? That's the Ark of the Covenant. I saw that in Indiana Jones. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) What do you not do? You don't take the lid off, right? This is what we learned from Indiana Jones. Um, you also don't touch it. This is what we learned from Uzzah, right? Because you, you will die. Um, the poles are there, so you carry it. So do we get to carry it? No. You better not, unless you're a Levite, and a special kind of Levite that has been purified. I mean, it's re- if you ever come across, just leave it alone, right? <laughs> Turn around and walk away and say, thank you, Lord, that I got my eyes, got the gaze on it, but leave it alone. The so. debate today is, if it is found, who could find it or would you still die? <laughs> I vote no. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to say we treat it like uh, Chernobyl. Uh, we just we, we build like a concrete wall around it and leave it alone. And let, when Jesus comes back, he can tell us what he wants it done with it. Um, that would be my vote. Honestly, if somebody asked me, like, theologically, what do you think we should do with the Ark of the Covenant? Not touch it. Like, it's, it's, this is not complicated, right? This, it was pretty clear about what to do. So where is the mercy seat? Because seat sounds like you sit on it, right? Which, and I've just gone to great lengths to say you don't touch it. So seat, really in this instance, doesn't mean sit on it. But where is the mercy seat? Yeah, right here on the top, right? And these objects on the top are angels, right? No, they're cherubs. That's right. They're different. This is a difference. Uh, Cherubs guard things that are valuable. Uh, When God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, what did he leave at the gate? Cherubs and a flaming sword, right? To guard something that was valuable. What was valuable? The tree of life. That's exactly right. Because we didn't need to go back once we've fallen into sin and participate in the tree of life because then you would live forever in a state of sin. And this would be horrible, horrible condemnation. That God, this was actually a, a kind 
demonstration of his justice to guard the tree of life. And here as well, a kind demonstration of his justice to give us rules around not touching this object. But this right here is the mercy seat. It is the atonement. It is the atoning. This is where the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on this place. And God would accept that looking forward to Jesus, knowing that Jesus' payment would ultimately fulfill what was being done in the Old Testament right here, and forgiveness would be present for the land. So we see, this is beautiful, that even in the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus is right there. Because he is described in this verse as the atonement for sin. It's shockingly beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. So, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by, through, through, again, his blood to be received through faith. This was to show or to declare or to indicate. It's an evident token, an evident token. When we talk about tokens, the easiest token to think about are wedding rings, right? If I have this little piece of gold on my finger, it means what? I'm either confused or married. Yes, right? So uh, it's evident token. This was to show, this was to be the evident token of God's righteousness because in his divine or godly forbearance or tolerance, he had passed over former sins. All the stuff that had happened in the past, it was to show the evident token, his righteousness at the present time right now so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in faith, right? Faith in Jesus. It's a big difference. When you hear the song, you just got to have faith. Eh, That is not right. You better have an object. Gary is spot on theologically flawless right here. Faith must have an object. And the only faith, the only object of faith that matters is Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? Where can we glory? Is it excluded? It is excluded. It's shut out. Through what kind of law? By a law of works? Do we get there by a law of works? No. No. The text actually answers the question, right? Paul has these little conversations with himself that illustrate conversations that he has either had or was going to have with others. Now, for we hold, verse 28, that one is justified by faith. Apart or separately from works. So just in case you've missed the fact that faith is not equal works, he says this is separate. This is apart from works of the law. Or is God a God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? And then this beautiful answer that includes us is what? Yes. I don't know if you highlight or underline or star or circle stuff in your Bible, but the yes is for you. (laughs) The yes is literally you. It's a beautiful thing. Because if the answer there had been no... I'm going to the house, boys. I'm going to have a Netflix marathon today. I'm going to do something else because we are spinning our wheels and wasting our time. This is for nothing. So is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles only. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So whichever side of that you fall on, it's all about faith. Do we then overthrow the law? Through this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold 
the law. And we will talk a lot more about verse 31 next week because Paul goes into an extended example of what verse 31 looks like and fleshing that out in, uh, in the person of Abraham. So very, very quickly, a couple observations of the text. So are there repeated words? Yes. What are the repeated words? Faith. Yes, we got faith. Anything else? Law. Righteousness. Yes, God. Justification is really important. Yes, it is. Prove. Yes. Jesus is repeated in this text. Yes, oh, happy day. Oh, I told Julie on the way to the church this morning, I said, uh, what... Uh, uh, she said, is everything okay? I said, yeah, I just feel like I've been holding my collective breath for about eight or nine weeks now. And today, <sighs> I finally get to let this out. So I'm so excited. All right, so a couple observations of the text. Uh, verse 21 there. If the law and the prophets have witnessed it, it's not new. Uh, Paul is just bringing this to light. And we're going to see that in the example of Abraham in chapter 4. And you can go to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. And the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to explain it is not about works. It's about faith. And this faith was not solely exclusive to the New Testament. It is all throughout the Old Testament as well. Verse uh, 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Uh, Paul said that the Ark of the Covenant is a shadow of something to come. Now, um, does anybody know what happens? Uh, I, I kind of told you just a minute ago, but what happened to our uh, friend Uzzah when he touched the Ark of the Covenant? Yes, I'm going to do something loud here just to give you an idea. You ready? He died. <clears throat> the smiting hand of God came down. I, I gave you a heads up, right? The smiting hand of God. Oh, the baby's in here. I'm sorry. Is that? Okay. Oh, then, then he's in great shape. Excellent. Good. Because, because this would, I mean, you could kill Uzzah with this, right? I mean, if you cracked him in the right spot. But this is probably better. Um, so the propitiation. Remember we talked about all that wrath, all that anger, all that condemnation that had to go somewhere, right? And when Jesus is on the cross, the wrath and condemnation and fury of God at the sinner and at the sin comes crashing down on my Savior again and again and again and again until what happens? Until he dies. It literally killed him. My sin killed him. And he willingly went there and took it. How do we not serve the Savior? How do we not rejoice and say, this is the greatest news ever because I no longer have to sit at the mercy seat and take the punishment and anger and wrath and fury of God because my Jesus took this for me. This is propitiation. Propitiation is not nice and clean and neat with a little bow on top and all the edges of the wrapping paper on the present are nice and perfect and oh, it wasn't that wrapped nice. Propitiation is messy. Propitiation is blood streaming off of the mercy seat. Propitiation is blood streaming through the face of my Savior to save me. It is beautiful, but it is messy. So when we go through this life and we see the messiness and we see the ugliness of life, just remember... It's not supposed to be pretty and neat and clean. We screwed it up. Jesus fixed it. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. But this is just a shadow of something to come that Jesus would flesh out later. All right, one more comment about verse 25. We'll get to application. 
The cross is the evident token of God's righteousness. It demonstrates his perfect judging and righteousness. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of different things. But when you look at the cross, it's not just an application of judgment. It's not just an application of punishment of sin. It's an application of God's righteousness. Because if God didn't deal with the sin of the believer, he would not be a just God. Right? The fact that we get to be believers means that our sin had to be dealt with. Our sin had to be atoned. Our sin had to be propitiated on the atonement on Jesus Christ. That's how we get to be believers. It's not, I asked Jesus into my heart and there was nothing messy about it. No, no. It's the repentance and faith are incredibly messy on the backside. So what's the point? All right, number one. Salvation by faith is not just a New Testament thing. God didn't switch when Jesus showed up. This was the plan all along. Repentance and faith. So what do we do with that? Number one, correctly understand the Old Testament. Look for faith. It's there, I promise you. Hebrews 11 helps us out, but it's, it's there all throughout the place. Number two, God's plan for the redemption of the universe goes through who? Jesus. It goes through Jesus. He is the center of the universe's redemption. So please do not miss Jesus. That would be horrible. And the cross shows God's righteousness, so praise him for his righteous judgments. All right, a couple, a couple heads up real quick. So... Um, There's a quotes and observations section in my teaching handouts each week online. There's a link at the bottom of your handout uh, to the Sunday School website. Uh, This week, it's about six or seven pages long. I will ask you to call special attention to Shriner, MacArthur, and McLaren. They are especially good this week. Gobs and gobs and gobs of good stuff in there. Next week, Paul goes into an extended example of... Romans 3.31, talking about Abraham. So we're going to look at verses, uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 4. The following week, we will finish up chapter 4, and then we hit Easter. So we're excited about Easter. It'll be a break from Paul for just a couple, a couple of days there, and then we'll jump right back in. So uh, two announcements real quick. One, you've got your uh, weekly update on the table there in front of you. So please make sure your name is at the bottom of that sheet so that we can get attendance right. Uh, share any prayer requests that you have and pray over those. Uh, and then two, next week is our egg stuffing party here at the Hickson campus. Uh, and Miss Amy Vlosen, wave Miss Amy. Uh, she's going to be coming around and asking for some help to set up uh, tables and chairs and casseroles and all sorts of good Baptist things. Uh, so when she asks you to help, the answer to that is... Yes. The answer to that is yes. So thank you for that. So lean in, engage, pray as a group. And when you are finished, you are dismissed. Thank you for coming to Sunday school today, guys.